This podcast is brought to you by the book, The Memoir Project, a thoroughly non-standardized text for writing in life, published by Grand Central Publishing. Recently updated and reissued in a new edition, it will teach you everything you need to know to write memoir. For more information, see the show notes or purchase wherever books are sold. Welcome to QWERTY. I'm Marion Roach-Smith. Each episode, I talk to writers from all genres to discover what makes a good read. And along the way, we discuss their writing process, discover their tips, and talk about what matters most to writers. So step away from the computer or typewriter for a bit and join us. Today, my guest is Donnie Jackson, an American poet, a veteran showrunner in documentary television, and an Emmy Award-winning executive producer and director, as well as a clinical psychologist. As a spoken word artist, Dr. Jackson has featured at venues throughout the United States. His new book, Boy, Poems, is just out. Welcome, Donnie. It's a joy to have you here. Marion, thanks for having me. Delighted. This podcast is for writers, many of whom have other professional lives that support that writing practice. You hold a PhD in clinical psychology. You've been a professor, psychologist, playwright, ghostwriter, an actor, critic, executive producer, and director. I don't think it's possible to turn off the writer when I'm working at something other than writing. I think that the writer's eye is always on. But that's me. What about you? What do you think about that writer's eye? I think I'm a storyteller. Uh, at my core. So mm-hmm. I don't think that ever gets turned off. Uh, sometimes I turn it down or, or amplify it, but it's always there regardless of what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, amplify. I love that. Turn it down or amplify it. So of all those many things that you are, all of them have to have been ignited by education. So I, I wonder if you can talk to us about your early influences at home and at school and what led to such a breadth of creativity. Part of it had to do with uh, just being a shy kid. I wasn't really good at social stuff. <laughs> so, uh, and I got fascinated <laughs> with, yeah, that, I mean, that, that is the, the truth of it. I was, uh, I was uh, bookish. And even uh, before I was in school, I was, I was fascinated by, by language. Uh, my parents uh, always had books open. And, and I don't remember them ever saying, uh, you know, reading is the thing that you should do as, you know, a, uh, as a core uh, skill. But there were always books open. And so I gravitated toward that, and my dad uh, is, was fond of telling people that I, I would just read the dictionary. I would just kind of sit and look up words. Um, and uh, you know, I read fairly early at, at age three, and uh, just you know, fell in love with the 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 adventure and the 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 scope of of what is possible uh, with words. And then in school, you know, I, I kind of thrived in that environment uh, because it is. You know, very, very, you know, reading based. And since I wasn't really running around in the playground, um, I had a lot of reading to do. <laughs> I love the idea of the dictionary. Uh, Emily Dickinson used to cut words out of magazines and place them on pages. And I think that individual word study is so much at the heart of a poet. Do you remember any particular, was it all words? Was it particular words? Was it something? in the dictionary that allowed you to, to focus in sort of word by word? It was really the, 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 the breadth and the, and the depth of it. It, it wasn't a particular uh, class of words. Uh, I was just amazed that there were uh, symbols that describe things. And um, 
Uh, you know, I was I was just uh, enthralled by the fact that there there are there are names for things that we we take for granted and don't necessarily know the names for or don't know how to uh, describe the uh, the the processes of you know in verbs and uh, I, I love the the puzzle of it uh, the problem solving of it the adventure of it. <laughs> well, you must love the adventure because you've got the ability also to get up and perform your work. You say you were a shy kid, and yet your performance career is is quite vast and quite vibrant and will be vibrant again, I suspect, after COVID. I remember those smoky coffee house poetry nights from my teens down in Greenwich Village in New York City. But that's not what you do. And I think a lot of the times people don't know that when we talk about the, 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 the new on stage or amid a crowd uh, idea of, of the spoken word. I mean, now we call it spoken word nights instead of poetry readings. And I want people to listen in and listen up when COVID allows and attend some live poetry. So be the ambassador for poetry that you are. What might happen to somebody at a, at a spoken word event? I think it's transformative. I think it's amazing to be in a space where people get a chance to tell their stories, and we, as a as a collective audience, get a chance to absorb those stories uh, and and relate to them, mm. uh, ideally. And I think everybody should have that that experience of of seeing both the the, the novice and and the veteran uh, honestly uh, excavating their their histories uh, in public that way. And and that's how it started. I mean, we you know poetry certainly didn't start as a as a written thing. It started as a as an oral thing. And so we're we're really returning to it in the in the genre of of spoken word uh, more than inventing something. But I, I mm-hmm. wish it on everybody. Uh, everybody who uh, <laughs> has been touched by language, which is literally uh, everybody, um, just to just to see how it how it feels to them. And, and again, not everybody will take to it. It's not something that is a universal in the sense that people like the construction of poems and and, and want to absorb language that way. But I think everyone should give themselves a, an opportunity to, to feel that. Mm. Do you remember your first reading or performance? Do you, what was it? This was back in the day when they were called poetry readings and 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 not mm-hmm. uh, spoken word. And even in college, I was I was super shy. But at some point, there were opportunities to read the work, and I, and I guess there was something in me that that knew that there was a, a, a narcissist in there hiding and uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> being able to stand in front of people and get attention for it. Because you know, if, if, <laughs> to be honest, if 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 I was that chronically shy. I never would have done it at all, but I did. And mm-hmm. uh, this was when you would read off of paper and, and, you know, people would clap. It wasn't, it wasn't so, so theatrical then. And that was in college. And I was still, you know, a pretty shy person at that point, still super bookish. But you know, at the University of Maryland, that was the first time I really started reading my work. Mm. I read in one of your reviews that you're a dangerous writer. And I, I happened to read on that same day I was reading in the current issue of the Paris Review, I was reading an interview with Edward Hirsch, the great poet. And he says that, quote, poetry partly comes out of the dark underground forces. And he says that you're supposed to go where it is physically troubling. 
And I, that really resonated with me, and it started making me think about what I had just read about you. Are you a dangerous writer? You, you talk about being the shy kid, but being the, you know, there's a narcissist lurking inside. But would you say you're a dangerous writer? And, and what do we mean when we say that, do you think? I mean, you'd have to ask Buddy Wakefield, who, who described <laughs> that me uh, that way. And, and I love Buddy. He's an, an astonishingly beautiful uh, poet, electrifying mm-hmm. um, performer and writer. So it's certainly a compliment to have been described that way uh, by him. And, and, I, and I think, you know, danger in this context is, is in the eye of the beholder. But what I guess I am willing to say is that I know Buddy didn't mean this, but I think part of the danger starts with me being willing to ache, me being willing to Mm. be in pain in order Mm -hmm. to convey a certain amount of pain for other people to witness and and, uh, uh, absorb in some way. Uh, I I don't certainly claim to have the answers to anything, frankly, but uh, I think if if I can pose uh, difficult questions, perhaps that's where the danger lies. Well, and we're grateful to it, for, to the work. You, you also seem unflinching, a word I much prefer to fearless. It's not for me to say who's afraid of what, but I, I don't like to say someone's work is fearless, but I, I like unflinching a bit. You, I mean, you take on missing black and indigenous women in the Americas, the tragedy in Sri Lanka, church burnings, the Boko Haram kidnappings, Flint, and so much more. What first draws your eye to something? We touched on it a little bit there by saying, you know, dangerous, unflinching, pain. But what first draws your eye to a topic? I think what draws me to it is the empathy of of feeling pain, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be a, a building on fire or or a, or a shooting or a, a kidnapping. Uh, or some other kind of loss. That is the essential part of it, loss. And that's that's something that, you know, we all find sad or, or frightening or uh, infuriating. Mm-hmm. So it really starts with that level of connection to to the pain uh, of, of people that I don't that I don't know. I mean, all the things that you've described, I don't know these folks. I haven't interacted with them, but there's something mm-hmm. about the way their story got to me that uh, literally got to me, you know, uh, it, it uh, twisted something, you know, in my soul. And my job, if you will, as a writer that, you know, I've, I've taken on that job, no one's assigned it to me for sure. Perhaps, you know, in a, in a greater cosmology, you know, the universe has assigned it to me, but I accept it willingly and uh, mm-hmm. excitedly. So I try to turn it back to people who, you know, may have a better answer or a solution or additional empathy that can at least provide some comfort to the people who are suffering. And of the things that you've described, uh, that's the process for me. Well, we certainly see that in your debut collection, Boy Poems. It published in 2020. It's structured in three sections. The I, which focuses on the poetry written from the perspective of someone else. The they, which focuses on living histories and and which you narrate from, and you move through these three perspectives. Do you think that's what you're, you're talking about now as you talk about this inhabiting the or describing other people? Does this point of view shift allow for that kind of examination as we, as we move through this very strikingly dangerous and difficult world right now? For me, it does. It, it, it does allow me to exercise empathy, you know, uh, and I think it does Mm. require 
a commitment to it and uh, and a willingness to withstand some of the things that will will come to you if you take the perspective of of another person. And frankly, you know, we're we're not taught that well in schools. We're not taught listening well. We're not taught changing perspective well. The way academics are are structured is unfortunate on the what are called soft skills of of, of listening and, and being empathic. But I think that's key to our evolution as a civilization, emphasis on, on civil. If we don't empathize, if we don't try to understand what somebody else is feeling, then it'll be easier to watch them be in pain. It'll be easier to cause them pain. It'll be easier to ignore them. Yes. And so I insist on, on trying to understand better or as best I can with my own limitations. And it's not always comfortable. Uh, and, you know, the boy as a, as, a, as a collection is certainly, you know, structured with a, with a lot more emphasis to people in pain than, than not. You know, there, there are no explicitly love poems in there, although I do hope there is, is love to be seen in the work. Mm-hmm. But yes, you know, as, as, as a collection, it's, it's, it's deliberately pointed at the injustices that, uh, that we see globally. Well, I think that this is what James Baldwin reminds us of when he quotes the Bible and he says that we should go back and do our first work again. And our first work is, I think, telling our tale better in America, honestly. And if we don't do this, we're going to continue to other everybody. And if we do do a better job of examining and listening and looking at other perspectives, we we hold a chance of seeing equality. It feels to me in your work that you you feel that as an obligation, that that's what you're supposed to be doing. And it, it certainly comes through in the beautiful portraits, um, if they are portraits, but they, they feel like portraits to me, in which I was able to examine my own inclination toward othering. I have to tell you, it's very successful in getting us to find our biases and kind of blow them up a bit. And as I said, it is your first it's your debut collection. And it's not unnatural for a writer to feel a certain validation when publishing a book, but you're very successful in, in many other fields. But did the experience of publishing validate or, or reinforce some part of your artistic self that your other accomplishments didn't quite attain? I would say yes. I'm not quite sure of validation so much as celebration. I think that I would, ah. I, would, I, would I would slightly uh, reframe that. Mm-hmm. Because, I, I mean, I, as a writer a lifelong writer, I already feel kind of validated in my ability to do it consistently. You know, whether I do it well is, is for other people to say, but but I do it quite consistently. I crank out a lot of stuff and I try to make sure that it's good before I share it with people. But again, it's not for me to say, you know, uh, how it lands. And so mm-hmm. being able to put out a book of thoughts, you know, you know, called over years and have that you know, be available to other people. For me, it's a celebration of my legacy. You know, uh, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, Shihan, uh, who is the one of the co-founders and uh, uh, former host of the, the Poetry Lounge in, in Los Angeles, he talks about uh, one's writing as being part of your legacy, part of what you leave behind. And uh, I don't have children, and this book and anything that I, that I write is part of that legacy. So more than being a validation, it really was a, a celebration, you know, a, a coming out, um, mm-hmm. you know, a quinceanera of, of my, of my <laughs> writing. <Yeah. laughs> 
Yeah, I hope the food was good too. That, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was a quinceanera. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I love the idea that it's a celebration. It's a fascinating experience to hold a book against your chest and have it be one with your own name on it. Uh, were you able? Did you did you do any kind of ritual? Did you uh, go on? Tell us. Did you did you throw a quinceanera for your for your book? Did you did you celebrate it? I, I did. I, I had a I had a book release uh, event, you know, where where I asked some of my my friends to to read, and there was a there was an audience, and and yes, there was food, uh, and uh, it was it was meant to be a celebration. It was meant to be a, a, a party, and you know, I read Good. some stuff from Good. from the book as well, and and I you know, it was a room full of full of love, and 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 not not uh, I mean, obviously the the. As a as a book release party, it, it was it was about me in that in that sense. But it would really, it was really a celebration of of language and what language can do, which is why I had other people reading um, and not my work. Uh, you know, some other poets that that I love, uh, because I it, it really was about the celebration of words. And you know, this book was just meant to be another example of what we can all do in 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 our own way. Yes. So think back to the kid with the dictionary and tag the guy at the quinceanera celebration of his book and and give a little advice to young poets starting out, particularly young poets of color. I have absolutely no authority there, whatever. So what would you say to somebody who comes to you as a kid who's reading the dictionary and wants to be the guy at the bookstore giving the party for the celebration of his work? I start with reminding people, not telling them, because I think inherently, cellularly, we know that we have a story, all of us. And, uh, and part of my job in, in giving advice is, is just reminding people that they do have a story and that it's worth telling and that, you know, words... Are only one way of telling that story. You could you could do it by dancing. You could do it by painting. Uh, you can you can do it by you know uh, creating a sculpture. So it's not that words are the only way to tell your story. But if people are asking me about that that you know genre of of storytelling, I just remind them you you do have a story. It does have value, and if you tell it honestly, it will connect to somebody else. And I mm. think being being as specific as possible is important in that level of honesty as opposed to trying to you know be everything to to everybody which honestly never works mm -mm. it's too scattershot so that is my advice to just never forget mm -hmm. that you have a story never let anybody else deny that you have a story and know that in the telling of it if you do it honestly it will connect yeah, and you do it on so many different platforms. I've read you on Tumblr. I've listened to you on Apple Music. I follow you on Instagram. So how important is it for you to be multi-platformed like this? Are there, and, and are there platforms that you find particularly well-suited to poetry? I think it's important for me, at least, to to be diverse because, you know, people receive information in so many different ways uh, now. I mean, you know, from, from mm -hmm. you know, social media to, to YouTube, to Spotify, uh, to the traditional forms in reading a book, uh, or just you know, looking up uh, poets online, you know, through a search engine. And so I, I think trying to be available 
to people. I think it's good to, to be nimble and to, to be able to be in, in these forums. So, yeah, so I, I am on, on Spotify and, you know, Apple Music and iTunes. And you can buy the book on Amazon. You can buy it, you know, from, from my website. You can, you can listen as well as, as read because that's mm-hmm. where the people are. Well, yes, and it was a joy to sit here and listen to you for the last week, turning it on and off, listening again, going back, writing down some phrases, and it allows us to be in the poetry, which is, I guess, also what the spoken word experience allows for us. I think it's wonderful that you're on all these platforms, and I and I always encourage people to go and have a look at them and, and get more comfortable with them. So who are you listening to? Who would you recommend that we read right now? It's a tough world right now, and we're looking for some understanding. Have you got somebody that you're kind of tucking in your... Uh, back pocket and taking with you as you go in this COVID crazy journey that is America and the world right now? It's a fantastic question. And, and uh, before I answer that, just uh, thank you, you know, for, for uh, allowing my work into your life, you know, by whatever means uh, you've chosen. I really do appreciate <laughs> it. It's nice to be heard and, and, and seen in that way because the, mm. the work is important to me. Um, and so knowing that somebody, you know, spent time with it is, uh, I don't take that for granted. So, so thank you. Uh, for that. Oh, you're welcome. I loved it. There are so many gorgeous uh, writers out there. I don't, I don't want to do a disservice by not being able to, to mention all of them. But one of the things that I, I do want to say, the writer that I'm most in love with still uh, is, is Toni Morrison. And, you know, she wasn't known as a, as a poet, mm-hmm. but her, her prose was certainly poetic. And so I, I encourage people to, to spend some time with, with Toni Morrison novels Absolutely, my hero as a as a poet is Nikki Giovanni uh, to this day, and and mm-hmm. I I don't write the way I write unless I'm honoring you know the fact that it started with being uh, a fan of hers you know uh, and so I, I think you know with, mm-hmm. with with decades of 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 a body of work it's a joy to spend time with Nikki Giovanni's work at any time, but I'll also I'll, I'll wrap up with with a contemporary because you did ask me about that. And a friend of mine who is also an astonishingly honest and unsparing in his aim as a poet, Javon Johnson, has a new book out. And so I, I definitely encourage people to check that out, uh, as well as Rudy Francisco, who is an amazing uh, writer and uh, beautifully available writer. He is somebody that you can immediately feel comforted by, even if he's talking about uh, uncomfortable things. Rudy has a gift that I don't have in that ability, so I encourage people to check out Rudy as well. And um, Jessica Salgado, I think, is a, is a, is a gorgeous writer and has, has multiple books out that, that I think people should check out. So anyway, I'll, 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 leave, you, I'll leave you there. <laughs> well, I will link to all of them, and I thank you so much for that generosity for the generosity of your work and for coming along today. It's just been a joy to talk to you and I wish you all the best. I hope that you get back on the stage soon and that we're able to continue to hear your voice wherever we want to. So thanks a million. I really appreciate it, Donnie. Marion, this has been a pleasure. I thank you for, uh, for making it painless. <laughs> Donnie Jackson's work can be found at his website, donniejackson.com. His debut poetry collection, Boy, Poems, is available at Amazon and elsewhere. I'm Marion Roach-Smith, and you've been listening to QWERTY. Subscribe wherever podcasts are available. 
Cordy is produced by Over It Studios in Albany, New York. Reach them at overitstudios.com. Our producer is Adam Claremont. Our assistant is Lorna Bailey. Want more on the art and work of writing? Visit marionroach.com and take a class with me. And thanks for listening. Thank you.